0: Hi, this is Alan K. Rohde, author and film historian, and you are listening to Tim Millard's podcast, The Extras.
1: Hello and welcome to The Extras, where we take you behind the scenes of your favorite TV shows, movies and animation. And they release on digital DVD, Blu-ray and 4K or your favorite streaming site. I'm Tim Millard, your host. And today I have three special guests from the 3D Film Archive to talk about their 70th anniversary restoration and release of Robot Monster in 3D. Bob Furmanek is an award-winning producer, author, and motion picture archivist who was on the podcast last summer to talk about Abbott and Costello. He founded the 3D Film Archive in 1990, and over the past decade, the archive has restored over 30 vintage titles for release on Blu-ray. And joining him are 3D Film Archive Technical Director Greg Kints and Extras Producer Sean Thrunk. Guys, welcome to the extras. Hello, hello. It's great to be here. Hello,
0: Tim. Thank you for having us.
1: Yeah, it's great to see you again, Bob. And I know you guys have had a busy year since we last talked, which was all the way to last summer, actually, when you did the, I think, the 2D restoration of the 1952. Abbott and Costello film Jack and the Beanstalk, and I think that was a pretty good seller for you. I know the podcast was very popular.
0: Yeah, that worked out very well. Uh, I, you know, was so thrilled to be able to work with uh, uh, Jack Feeks and our team to restore that. And one of the nice things about the reception to it is people that have thanked us for rescuing it from public domain hell. And saying that, you know, seeing the film in a good quality really kind of elevates the movie. And uh, that's very gratifying.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I know since that time, even, you've had quite a few releases. Maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit of the highlights over the last year.
0: Well, we did The Diamond Wizard for Keanu Lorber, which was a 3D film uh, shot in Great Britain. Uh, Our latest release is a 70s uh, title Prison Girls. And I'll let your imagination run with that one. Uh, uh, Greg is finishing up another, uh, an 80s 3D film called The Man Who Wasn't There. That will be out from Kino in a few months. And uh, Robot Monster, which is out uh, July 25th from Bayview Entertainment. And it's, I, I say this a lot, but it's really true. We are so incredibly proud of this release, not just for the feature restoration, but the over two hours nearly three hours of bonus content on it,
1: so we'll get into the restoration in a in a bit and and in all of those extras because I know people want to know about that, but first off, kind of what went into choosing hey, we're gonna work on robot monster, obviously, you had the seventieth anniversary coming up, so that that plays into it because it's always nice to to hit those anniversaries, but take me into the conversation where you guys say we're gonna do this restoration of Roboman <laughs> Well,
0: Robot Monster has been on my radar for many, many years, uh, because when I found uh, the only complete 3D version of it in 1990, and I saw what a high quality 3D film it was, despite its microscopic $16,000 budget and four day shooting schedule, uh, the 3D rivals anything the studios were doing at the time. And I wanted people to see it the way that it was meant to be seen. So I've been trying for over a decade to get Robot Monster restored for 3D Blu-ray. And there were a lot of obstacles, but we finally were able to move forward with it. Uh, We did a Kickstarter campaign, which was enormously successful. We had over 1,100 backers and uh, raised a a good amount of money to to really restore it properly. And that was the motivation. And, uh, you know, there were exactly 50 Golden Age 3D features done uh, domestically. And they're all important. I don't place one over the other. Uh, to me, Restoring Robot Monster is as important as dial M for Murder or, or something else, because it's giving us a chance or giving people an opportunity to see the films as they were intended to be seen. And I think that's important.
1: Yeah, and and this one has a unique kind of place in the history of 3D, doesn't it? I mean, in terms of being maybe considered so bad that it's good? Or, or it, it would I have read some things of that nature?
0: Well, I, I put it this way. If, if a film was really as bad as people say it is, uh, would we still be enjoying it 70 years later? If we just had a, a sold out show in New York uh, on the 70th anniversary of its world premiere in 1953 and about 100 people. And it it went over like gangbusters. And, you know, I think the film has its own very unique charms that make it work. And it's a lot of fun with an audience. And it really, really comes to life that way.
1: So you also had been out here. I think you talked about the kind of, what, 10, 15 year journey or or, or whatever, since you first wanted to do this. But you even started, I, I think on one of the excerpts, you came out to LA, you went to Bronson Canyon, you did some stuff. So how did that kind of all develop? Did you start also working on some of the extras all the way back then? Or how does that timeline work for the restoration and the development of this?
0: It's been on the radar for a long time. uh, And we were uh, it was a rare case where the the entire team was in Los Angeles in 2006 for a screening at the World 3D Film Expo. And a wonderful uh, friend of ours, Bob and Kathy Burns, have the original prop helmet from the movie. And just on a whim, we said, hey, wouldn't it be cool to go up to Bronson Canyon and uh, bring the prop helmet? And Jack Thexton had the great idea. In the car, he said, why don't we get a bubble machine? So we stopped at a magic shop on Hollywood Boulevard and bought a couple of little bubble makers and had a blast. And when we were putting the bonus extras together for the Blu-ray of we decided, yeah, let's let's put that video on there as well. So yeah, we've been wanting to do this film for a very, very long time.
1: So you chose to do it. How did you go about finding the prints that you needed to work on? And then let's get into a little bit of discussion of the restoration.
0: Well, the prints were a left and right 35 millimeter side that I found in 1990. And it's, uh, it's quite an interesting story that, uh, I don't want to get into too much detail with you, uh, but I will say that there's a bonus extra on the disc produced by uh, Sean that will tell you the whole story. Uh, And that was the basis of the restoration. Uh, We did 4K wet gate scans with Brad Miller at uh, Film Tech Cinema Systems. And uh, Brad uh, was able to, with the wet gate, clean up a lot of the damage. But it was still enormously challenging because these 70-year-old prints had just about every problem you can imagine, uh, vinegar syndrome, where the base is deteriorating, uh, shrinkage from the vinegar syndrome, uh, curl, so when you try to scan it, it it's not going through the gate properly, uh, water damage. Uh, it was a textbook example of everything that could be wrong with an element, but uh, the scan was, was wet gate, uh, and then Greg Kentz was able to work his magic along with the digital cleanup that uh, we had two people that worked on it, Thad Komorosky and Catherine Pratt did supplemental image restoration. So there were a lot of people that came together to fix a lot of the problems on this material.
1: Well, Greg, why don't you uh, dive in here? We haven't heard much from you, but talk a little bit about that process of uh, getting a print and uh, you know looking through it and seeing what you're going <laughs> to be faced with.
2: Uh, This really was a case of a years-long process, finding the best elements available. And then, you know, with a 2D movie, to have a complete element, you just have to worry about one side, whereas we need uh, complete left-eye and complete right-eye elements. So, finding those that are going to match start to finish and that are going to pair together, well... Was a challenge, and if you if you watch the 2D bonus section, you'll see some of the issues that we dealt with in the before and afters, um, and it was in some cases very uh, substantial uphill battle.
1: I don't think I asked you how long the movie is, but I, it's not necessarily a long movie.
0: No,
2: no, not at all. It's just over over an hour, just over by an a hour. few minutes. Yeah, and what's really nice though is. The way uh, Bob compiled it, it is just like you would have seen it in the theater, where you have the original 3D short that was made for this movie, is in front of the film, and then afterwards, there's a little uh, little bonus section that I won't I won't say much of because it's a nice surprise when you see it after the credits finish.
1: So, tell us a little bit about some of the maybe the challenges or the the biggest challenges that you had, Greg, in the restoration.
2: Um one of the things that we had to deal with besides water damage is making sure that these elements were good to the frame and doing sometimes some frame patching. And that was a necessary uh, thing we had to do and stabilization uh, scratches, you name it, we had to deal with it. And, um, It was, it was, it was a, it was a tough battle, but I mean, at at the end, I mean, it was amazing for us to watch this and go, wow, you know, what we started out with, you know, a year ago and then six months. And then now, you know, we just kept making little inroads and, you know, saying, okay, this is our worst section. What can we do? And looking around, finding other elements or new processes. And yeah, it, I was very, very happy with the end result.
1: So it took, what, about a year, you say, to kind of get it to where you wanted it to be?
2: Yeah, I would say so. And then before then, it was just calling all available elements, you know, worldwide on on what we could get.
1: Right. Well, that's not horrible, is it, Bob? I mean, that's about, uh, you know, maybe average for a restoration a year or so.
0: Uh, it's a little bit longer. Generally, uh, once we get scans on a title uh, that we're working with, uh, it's about a three month process, and a lot of that is juggling with multiple titles. Uh, yeah. We've got so much in the pipeline now that you know Greg's got two workstations going twenty four seven to keep things moving. Uh, so yeah, if you if you consider an average is three months, uh, twelve months on Robot Monster is. Uh, is a lot, but all of us were really committed to making this the best it could be and honoring the film and the the team that came together to make it.
1: When you guys do these restorations, you also do the, you do the 3d, but you guys always have a a 2d or this, uh, what do you call it? Your, your 3d anaglyphic. uh, Yes. Tell us a little bit about that so that uh, those people who aren't familiar with it kind of understand.
2: Sure. One of the, Things that we had to deal with as far as the 3D Blu-ray format, it's its what I would call the Rolls Royce of 3D. You know, if you have the right gear, um, it really is finally technology catching up with dual strip 3D from the 50s as far as overall quality. The problem is, is with special gear and sometimes it not always being readily available or per somebody's exact setup, they may not have that, so we have been trying to include anaglyphic 3D as a alternate viewing option. And with our proprietary methods, we've helped reduce ghosting, and also the newer displays have helped as well. There's a lot of TVs with expanded color gamuts, and expanded color gamuts mean better left and right 3D cancellation. Or anaglyph, so a better three D experience, and of course, the three D Blu Ray format allows for two uh, D viewing just by default. So you have three viewing options with most of our newer discs.
0: If I may add, one of the ironies of that development is, for a very long time, we were battling the misconception that these films were originally shown with red and cyan anaglyphic glasses like these. That got out there because some were reissued that way and they were shown on TV that way in the 80s, but they were all shown originally with polarized glasses, which was a, a very high quality presentation, uh, very similar to the the kind that you'd see in a theater today. The way it worked was you had two 35 millimeter prints that were interlocked in the projection booth and you would have these type of uh, filters on each port that would separate the left-right images so that your eyes would see the image that it was dedicated to see. And they had these type of really cool glasses uh, as one example. These are magic viewers that were used in 1953, uh, and they're polarized. uh, And that's how the films were shown. But uh, we fought that anaglyphic myth, and we were fairly successful in, in clearing it up. But now because the display manufacturers dropped support of 3D TVs around four or five years ago. We've had to start converting them to anaglyphic so that people could see them. So uh, it's a a little bit of a double-edged sword, but Greg's uh, new system that he developed, uh, the multi-band adaptive conversion, is miles improved over any old anaglyphic conversion. So even if you think you've you know, seen bad anaglyphic 3D in the past, I think people would be really surprised with how good the new versions look.
1: And just for our listeners, Bob was holding up some props. Uh, so for those of you who want to watch this uh, on YouTube, you'll see those. Those of you uh, who aren't weren't familiar with the fact that uh, you can now catch many of the podcasts on YouTube, uh, there's a good reason there. And Bob... Uh, What is that head that's uh, sitting there behind you? Uh (laughs) Oh, (laughs) he's not usually
0: in the room with me, but because uh, we like being on your show and you do great shows. This is the original prop head of Charles Bronson from House of Wax. And it was rescued uh, in the 1970s by Dan Sims from uh, the house that made the prop and uh we acquired it from Dan Sims uh about 15 years ago so it's part of the 3D film archive collection now
1: it it actually is in great condition uh so it doesn't look spooky or weird it actually looks pretty cool
0: no but it's it's not something you normally see in someone's home uh, it's it's quite a conversation <laughs> maker
3: <laughs> it really was i <laughs> Yeah, you, you, oh, you meet this, you meet this eccentric film guy, and then all of a sudden, you you walk into the kitchen, and there's just a head in this glass case. You know? <laughs> so that's what I'm dealing with. Okay, I, <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. Well, th- maybe it's good we're hearing from
1: you, Sean, because I did want to get your perspective. Like, you know, what's your interest in a film that's 70 years old, 3D for a guy? I mean, I, are you
3: in your 20s, or you're pretty young? Yeah. I'm actually I'm I'm just 20. Uh, oh, okay. So <laughs> but yeah, so when it comes to the, you know, why I would be interested in these in these older kind of films, you know, first off, I'm a filmmaker uh, and I love history. And it's one of those things where to to expand upon the future of filmmaking, you know, you need to understand the past. And then, you know, as a documentarian, which is the aspect of filmmaking that I'm looking uh, to get into, every story to me has some value to it you know, there's, there's always an angle to, to be, to be shown. And so when it comes to a film like Robot Monster, you know, you got this film that was called the second worst film of all time uh, in, in the Golden Turkey Awards. And, you know, that is an interesting story. And yet it's been able to survive. So it is this underdog story that like, it is that, you know, even these, these turkeys are able to, to get enjoyment out of it. You know, what happened to the director, Phil Tucker? what was the process of restoring it and getting it into modern audiences hands. It's, it's interesting as a filmmaker and just as a human story of the perseverance of, of art. It's, it, it was fascinating to me.
1: Yeah. And and I think when you, when you talk about movies at the extremes, you know, the best ever or worst ever, or those are the ones you want to learn more about. Actually, they actually call out to like, I want to see that. Is it really, or did it just get kind of, you know, shoehorned into this, category Absolutely. and it doesn't actually deserve it. And, and that's the beauty of, I think, uh, you know, home physical media, home entertainment, the ability to, to see these things and evaluate on your own. But the, the way you guys have done all of your releases is that you have made sure that people understand the context, uh, not only of what the movie was about and, and the time, uh, and what it took to restore it, but to kind of just tell the whole story of why you should, why this movie is
2: Right. And I think one of the neat things in that regard with Robot Monster is for decades, everybody's seen mostly the 2D version, or they've seen an anaglyph version where literally a third of it was flat 2D because the distributors didn't have proper element. And, you know, the movie's always going to be this wonky, crazy thing that makes it so unique. But what's really cool is. When you see Bob's complete elements, which beforehand had never been seen stereoscopically, this is a really enjoyable three D experience, and that's something that just has not been able to be seen properly until now, and that's a neat thing to bring to the table.
1: Well, why don't we talk a little bit about the extras? Because I think you can't separate on this release. I know when you guys do your kickstarters that that's part of the big. Uh, draw is that people want to see these films restored, but they also are looking forward to hearing the the stories and and all of the extras that you uh, put on this release. Maybe Bob or Sean, you guys can can take us through a few of these because I mean I'm looking here. I'll I'll hold up the <laughs> I'll hold up this and then you look you turn. I guess this is you know the insert the sleeve insert and then you then you look and you've got all of the 3D and and, and 2D bonuses and it just. It fills up everything, but what? Uh, which one did you kind of work on first, and which ones uh, do you want to highlight here in our discussion? Because I don't know that we have time to talk about all of them.
0: Well, uh, I'll take that and and just tell you that uh, you know one of the nice things uh, about uh, meeting Sean and and you know his group from the college was showing them these films and the discussions that we would have after them and. This came about just as kind of an 11th hour surprise. Uh I was telling Sean the story about Trust and Howard and Slick Slavin and how uh we found this, you know, film. And I remember when I was telling you the story, Sean, that you were just sitting there with this big smile on your face. And... I think the ideas were starting to percolate in your head for a documentary. So why don't you take it from there?
3: Yeah. Well, when he was, so first off, let me, let me set the scene for a second. When he was telling uh, me and my camera person, Josh, who I typically work with, he was, you know, sitting in this nice, big, cozy rocking chair with this, with this beautiful, like golden lamp, just illuminating him. And Like as a, (laughs) as a filmmaker, your, your brain's just going and, and, you know, the way that Bob tells his stories is they, they are stories. And so, you know, we're going through who, who Trustin Howard was what happened to, to Robot Monster and Stardust in your eyes, how it came back. He, he was telling the story like it was a movie, like it was a documentary story. And so it was it was very easy to to work with the script on it. And so as a documentarian, you know, I, I think that every story has merit to it. And so when you know, when when Bob and I came together and we went, yeah, we actually wanted to do this. That's how I conducted my interview is I just said, tell me that story you told me the other day. And then, you know, whatever he said that interests me, you know, we, we went on from there asking other questions. And so I I think we, I think I just let you go on for about like an hour and then, (laughs) no, and it was great. And it was great as, as a, as a documentarian, I I love just having as much as possible because then it is my job to, to edit and uh, edit the script and, and make it all coherent. And so it, but it was very exciting having this incredibly detailed and human story because Bob is such a. Such a smart guy, such a passionate guy when it comes to three D stuff. is He could tell you everything <laughs> about about Phil Tucker, Trustin Howard, Stardust in Your Eyes, Rolling Monster. And so when you have that much information to work with, it's not only interesting on the emotional level, but but the intellectual level. So much about what I was doing with these documentaries was was trying to convey that information, but then also tell the, the human aspect of it. I mean, Trustin Howard was was a nightclub comedian, and then this was his first time ever doing film, and, and this film was almost lost. And so then, however many years later, to be able to, to see that again and get new stardom again in his in his 90s, you know, that's an underdog story of of coming up and, and the power of art living on and, and how it can almost, in a way, make you immortal. You know, we're talking about Tristan Howard past his his death, and you never would have thought to have done that if not for the great work that they've done at the archive and the important archiving work that Bob uh, and all of them have done. And so what I am proud to share of that is, you know, I got to be a part of bringing that new life to Trustin, And not only that, but the way that I handled it was I wanted Bob to be a character in himself. You know, he was this kid who loved sci-fi movies, who wanted to restore the films that he couldn't see. And he did it just like how Trustin wanted to be a comedian. And then years later, not only was Bob able to live his dream, but he was able to help Trustin's live his dream. Yeah. And, and it's a powerful, powerful story. And you know, for how much information you can get to 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 learn, it's the emotional side of it that that really did strike me because everything that the archive done is done through passion, and it's and it's giving these underdogs new life, and and to me, that's just a very powerful thing.
1: Tristan Howard was A.K.A. Slick Slavin, and that's the the comedian who does the, I guess it's his stand up routine, so to speak, before the the movie begins.
3: Yeah, he performs. So uh, they have this little, uh, this little sketch, I guess you could call it before um, this, this little short that they play before Robot Monster uh, called Stardust in Your Eyes. And it's supposed to be this little way to ease the audience in, you know, he does some some 3D bits. He, he goes to hand some tissues out and he does this little, uh, he does impressions of the times while singing this song that he made uh, uh, about a robot in love. Uh, very similar to our, to our great friend, Roman, uh, uh, But but it was his first ever time on camera. But, it, but it's so funny, too. You know, not only because, like, oh, the impressions are nice. If you know the impressions, I didn't know a lot of them. Uh, but, but it's funny, too, just on the production level, because not only is this his first time in front of a camera and he kills it, but it's just him in front of this, like, burlap background. And, you know, right in the beginning, a plane flies overhead. And you know they only had one real chance of it, so they couldn't cut. <laughs> right. So there's this there's this whole thing where they just show this two D plane, and he's like, "Goodbye, goodbye, <laughs> goodbye, two D." But but he, but he handles it like a champ because that's just part of the per- performer that he was. And, and it's a it's a really good way to get set in the scene of this of this very cheap indie three D film. Is this very cheap? indie <laughs> short yeah. comedy right before it. It, it. It's the perfect segue.
1: And it's very heartwarming. I, I, is it in the Saving Slick um, a documentary short? I can't remember which one it's in where you guys tell the story about finding him. And he had yes. no idea he's that this footage was even still absolutely available somewhere
3: (laughs) yeah no so so i made two uh bonus features for the robot monster release uh two short documentaries one's called saving slick and rescuing roman Uh, bob helped me title them he really likes alliteration, (laughs) and so and so yeah each of them tells the story about the restoration finding the robot monster or monster from mars at the time finding that that uh film reel and then it goes through the story of a to b you know, but I, I try to tend to focus uh, more on the emotional side of it, the more human side of it, because that's what's going to interest you in a story. You know, as as much as like, can you add the minutiae like, of the details? And that's fascinating as well. But t- to me, I will never get over how powerful and interesting the human aspect of restoration is.
0: Well, and that's, if I could add, that's one of the things that's uh, so wonderful about uh, the films that Sean did and the ones he's going to be doing for us, because he knows how to rein me in. I can get really caught up in the minutiae of it. And and Sean, I'll tell that one story when we were going to be shooting in the editing room. And I had made all these notes about, okay, the film shippers weighed 85 pounds and you had 5,000 feet of film and all this. And I said, you know, when you're blocking the shot, I said, do you mind holding that? And I could refer to it. And you just kind of looked at the notes. He said, I don't think we need this.
1: Yeah.
0: And he was absolutely right, it, because the story he wanted to tell didn't need that kind of minutia. Right.
1: Yeah. You could just feel the listeners and the viewers fading away. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's, a, there's a few hardcore ones that might uh, might stick with you. But you know what I, I thought is great, Sean, is you just mentioned, you're 20 years old. But I love it. When we can talk about classic films, and this is a seventy year old film this is a classic you know hollywood film and uh and get renewed interest, obviously you've got some people who maybe maybe remember growing up watching this uh film because it's not that old, but there's a probably a huge gap, and I'm one of them that had no idea what this film was. Maybe you hear a glimpse like you say on on lists of of films or something over the years but I love the fact that uh, you guys are able to bring this back to the public eye, but then to have a kind of a new perspective like yours, Sean, that maybe we can get you know more people who are of a certain younger age interested in buying physical media and looking at these or going to the live uh, screenings that you guys had with this, which I thought was great, Bob, uh, to see them as they were back then in uh, in the fifties. You know that experience because I think. We're all looking for experiences, too. We're looking for experiences that we can go to that are unique. And then we're looking for product we can buy that's unique, where the extra is just not the same promo trailer that they played on YouTube, you know, but it's actually something new. It's a documentary. It it takes you deeper and and, and tells you something you didn't know.
3: Yeah. When it comes to the fact of, of younger people being interested, I mean, when we had that screening in New York. I mean, my, my my partner, Emma, was there. My friend Marley was there. You know, these two people that are my age that aren't even necessarily film buffs, they loved it. They had a really great time with the film. They thought it was very, very fun. <laughs> and, and, and so and so my partner, Emma, she, she's 22 and well, not 22. She is 20 as well. And, you know, and she's not the the biggest movie person. You know, last thing I'm sure she would ever see on her own is this uh 70 year old film. But I'll tell you what, she really had a blast with it. And so if you, you know, you get those, those, uh, those people like myself who really find these films interesting. And then, you know, you are able to share it with, with your friends, share it with your loved ones. And, you know, they might get renewed interest in it as well. And so just to even have the, the, the catalyst of, of having these, uh, DVDs is, is phenomenal. And it's the true testament to digital media. Yeah. I mean, if you throw this thing up on a streaming service, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a dime a dozen. You're not going to be able to know what to pick. You're going to overshine that. But if you, you know, somehow if if you choose to buy this, you're gonna look at your tinier collection. You're gonna say that one, you, yeah, you know, me personally, I have my Robot Monster Blu-ray, like everyone else should, because it's a great film with some great bonus features, right? But you know, when I when I go across my little films back there, I'm gonna go, oh, Robot Monster would be great. Hey, you guys want to watch this old film that's seven years old? Yeah, that sounds interesting. Sure. And and, but with a streaming service, you know, you never would have never would have done that.
1: You know, we talk on this podcast uh, a lot about classic film. And one of the reasons why I obviously worked for the studio in-home entertainment, but one of the reasons why I think it's so important is that when you're able to take an older film and give it a proper restoration, and then now watch it with the picture and sound, maybe in HD, and and so you're, you're seeing it on your beautiful monitor if you have a nice setup at home, you're hearing it through your nice speakers, and This is a new experience where these older films, they've never looked this good or sounded this good. And so now you have an opportunity to bring a whole new audience. Or if you were used to watching it just on broadcast, maybe in a very low resolution, you have a a greater appreciation for these classic films and what they mean to film history and just pure entertainment experience as well.
3: And I'll tell you what's so great too, like when it comes to, to, to what the archive does is, you know... Uh, the experience with the 3D is just phenomenal. You know, when it comes to my generation, I we we grew up with Spy Kids 3D and that was our first introduction to 3D and that's probably the last one that they ever saw. And so when it comes to the idea of also getting to, you know, the entertainment of experiencing 3D as well and 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 experience it properly so you're not going to get a headache. You know, that's that's very cool for for someone my age. You know, we we don't get a lot of experiences with We made for 3d anymore i mean we got avatar but that's that's pretty much it and those movies are very long and not a lot of people might have the attention span for it (laughs) so you get a nice fun 3d uh film that that's what that's what like 70 minutes it's gonna fulfill that that perfect kind of entertainment value especially with the 3d right right
0: yeah the goal for the from day one for for the archive was rescue as many of these films out of the vaults as possible and get them seen again and reappraised. Mm-hmm. And uh, I make the point, I think, in Rescuing Roman that, you know, film doesn't do any good sitting on a shelf unseen. Uh, we've developed a really efficient workflow for, you know, being able to get these done uh, at a very reasonable cost uh, so that you're not breaking the bank in in getting these uh, digitally mastered for either 3D Blu-ray or DCP. And get them out there, get them seen again on the big screen. Uh, In fact, uh, Robot Monster is going to kick off a 70th anniversary uh, 3D film series at the Film Forum in New York City, and uh, that's a wonderful opportunity, you know, to get a lot of younger people in to see these films uh, with an audience on the big screen, and uh, that's what we've been trying to do.
1: Now, you've had some live screenings already. Maybe you could tell us about where they were and how successful they were
0: yeah we've we've done a few uh we did madison wisconsin uh at the wisconsin film festival uh columbus ohio as part of the uh moving picture show uh we did it in los angeles with eric Curland at 3d space at this incredible uh i'm gonna botch the name but it's a panorama a wonderful historic building in los angeles uh, and uh, we're starting to get a lot of bookings now through our distributor, Bayview Entertainment. I just found out yesterday that a uh, art house uh, and repertory uh, theater in uh, Maine is going to run Robot Monster for a week, which blows my mind. I mean, it didn't get that much exposure in
1: 1953. <laughs> the uh, so one reason why I wanted to, to bring it up, Bob, is because if any listeners out there who runs a theater, they, they can reach out to you, right?
0: Absolutely. And and we have it available in multiple formats. So even if a theater doesn't have real D or Dolby three D, uh they can run it in anaglyphic, uh, which doesn't require any special screen or equipment whatsoever. Uh so we're we're making it available as in as many technically different versions as possible for that reason.
2: And Tim, one of the things too with these theatrical showings is with three D it really is to see it on the big screen with a packed audience, um, and with with 3D, bigger really is better. Um, it, it's it's a neat thing to see.
3: Yeah. And just from going to these to these live showings, I was at the one in uh, in Columbus and uh, in New York. You know, you, you get such a silly movie like Robot Monster, and and the audience will eat it up. It, it's it's a very fun theater experience. It's a great movie to watch with people. Because you'll just laugh, you'll you'll laugh, and you'll have a very good time. You'll hear the words "pooped out pinwheel." People will <laughs> laugh, and then you'll laugh with it. It, it. It's a very fun film to laugh with, rather than at. Like like, it, it's a very wholesome movie to watch with people. Yeah, and in well, that's in that
1: sense. It's a it's a group experience <laughs> makes you enjoy it more so, which is what films in theater are meant to be. Um, yeah. It, it seems like so many times these days, you're walking out of a movie and everybody's so critical. It didn't have this or that. It's like, wow, (laughs) did you enjoy the movie or not? I mean, they're not all meant to be critical. It's meant to be uh, a fun night out. But this uh, Memories of a Pooped Out Pinwheels, that's the name of one of your your 3D bonus extras, is it not? Or or is that just...
0: No, absolutely. Uh, We're very fortunate. And this rarely happens when you restore a movie that's seven decades old. But uh Greg Moffat, who played Johnny in the film is still uh going at 80 years young uh, a remarkable man with uh, an energy of of someone half his age and uh, uh Greg worked with uh Eric Kurland and Mike Blue and Lawrence Kaufman and recorded a commentary track for the film and also the the uh pooped out pinwheel feature and uh, it's it's a nice bonus feature getting someone that was there uh, 70 years ago, talking about his experience making the movie,
1: and then you have. Let's see, you've got a lot of other ones here. We should probably just mention, but uh, you've got some. This what's this? Bella Lugosi. You asked for it. I saw that. That
0: is a a, a 16 millimeter kinescope of a, an appearance on live television that Lugosi did in the summer of 1953. And uh, Jeff Joseph had an original print. Now this has been floating around for decades in really bad, horrible quality versions. And uh, our associate producer Jack Theekson worked with uh, his technical man Scott Jondro and did uh, a new restoration of it, which restores it to the original live television uh, experience that audiences would have had in 1953. And uh, we had Gary Rhodes, who's the world's foremost. Lugosi Scholar, uh, do a commentary track for it, and uh, there is a 3D angle, because Lugosi was uh, developing a 3D film with uh, Ed Wood, of all people. It's a great bonus feature, and again, it gives us an opportunity to restore something that uh, would have been lost otherwise, or at least in in a high-quality version. Yeah,
1: I thought that was uh, one that we should should talk about. And then you have Joe Dante, um, who... You know, people are very familiar with. He did a. You have his thing from uh, a piece from Trailers from Hell, where he talks about this uh, release as well, right? The movie,
0: yeah. Joe uh, Dante narrates uh, the trailer to for the film and talks just very briefly about the film and and his uh, observations on it. Uh, so that's a really nice bonus feature, courtesy of uh, Trailers from Hell organization. Uh, another one that we're incredibly uh, delighted with and people love is called Travels Through Time and Space. And it's done by a, a stereoscopic anthropologist named Hilary Hess. And what Hilary has done uh, is, is takes uh, these vintage stereo slides that were photographed by amateur uh, uh, photographers with a stereo camera and does these incredible uh, curated slideshows. Uh, and this is her best work to date. I mean, she every time she does another segment for us, she she knocks it uh, knocks the bar up a little bit higher. But it's a a wonderful uh, featurette about uh, different slides from uh, the the forties through actually through the nineties. There's one in there that I took of of uh, singer screaming Jay Hawkins uh, backstage at a club in New York. Uh, so that's a great uh, bonus feature as well. Uh, Jack Feekston put together a, a wonderful, uh, uh, segment on what other 3d movies were showing in Los Angeles in 1953 when robot monster was released, uh, with original trailers and snipes from that period. Uh, so there's a lot of extra content, uh, for people to dive into that. I think they'll find very interesting.
1: And I'll, I'll mention this other one. I want to get your take on it, Sean, but, um, this ability to watch three D comics adventures, I think it's called Adventures in three D, newly restored Golden Age three D comic book. I was watching that with the glasses and everything. I, I kind of find it found it fascinating. Um, you, what were your thoughts, Sean?
3: It's it's amazing. I, I mean, I don't know if, if for audio listeners, I got a little Green Lantern back there. I'm, yeah. a, I'm, a, big comi- I'm a big comic. I'm a big comic guy fan. Yeah, and and you know, like it's just crazy that they were able to like and, and comic book artistry is you know such an underrated art form. But to know that they were even able to to figure out the exact uh I'm gonna not use the phrase properly but to be able to figure out you know how to make the effect truly truly work and pop it, like at the time is just just amazing you you know and and again like you come from people my age you know we we think that you know 3D was made in the early 2000s with 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 Spy Kids and so when you learn like when you watch Back to the Future and they're in the 50s and you see that one person wearing the 3D glasses you go that's weird. Yeah, it, but it, it's been around for so long, and like even to the point with the Golden Age of comic books. And I'm a big Golden Age guy. I love the JSA, and, and so even when around then, they they were so smart enough and so creative enough and so talented enough to be able to figure out how to make it work. It, it's it's jaw dropping. It's phenomenal.
1: Yeah, I thought that was really unique. And I mean, I'm counting. I don't know. I counted close to like 20 different uh, extras that you have on here. And some of them you have listed as 3D bonus features, some as extras in both 3D and 2D, and then you have 2D bonus features. So it's just a lot. But I watched them all. I mean, it took me a while. <laughs> they're they're all really good, and uh, um, I thought that th- those that we mentioned, especially, were you know were the ones we wanted to highlight. But for people who pick up this disc, the you know, obviously, if you go to the live screening, that's a great e- experience with people. But I think you want to own it because then you get all of these extras, and uh, you can experience uh, the storytelling and everything that you guys do. And it was nice to see you on camera there, Bob. Of course, the way Sean was sitting there in the chair. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that was my that was my camera person, Josh. Yeah. Great cinematographer. Yeah, really, really proud of them. Yeah, it was really well done. So, but uh, going back to this comic book, did I just see an
1: ad for in one of your promo pieces about some future comic book? You got graphic novel? You guys are working on.
0: Yes, uh, we're, we're developing, uh, several different robot monster related projects, uh, moving forward as part of the 70th anniversary. And one of them is, is a graphic novel, uh, Robot Monster in Kaiju Land and Other Tales. And, uh, a wonderfully, uh, talented gentleman named Paul Castiglia, who worked in the comic industry back in the nineties. Uh, is, is overseeing producing this and, and bringing together some really great uh, storytellers and artists. Uh, so we're going to be doing a robot monster graphic novel sometime in the very, very near future. Uh, we're also developing some other merchandising uh, for robot monsters. So there's uh, lots of things coming ahead that I think people are going to really enjoy uh, relating to Roman and great guidance and uh, all the characters in the original film.
1: Well, I've for years I go to Comic Con in San Diego and the other conventions here in LA. So I just think that's kind of a very smart thing to do because uh when it comes to, you know, my generation, I'm older than you, Sean, but I grew up with comics, you know. I just think finding that angle where you <laughs> saw the comics in 3D and then actually doing other comic books. I like that. I like that a lot. I think that expands the scope of some of maybe this one specifically, but So many of the 3D films that you guys have worked on can work as a comic or or come from comic or, you know, they're really, they're either sci-fi or they're kind of fantastical, you know, which really fits into that world. And I'd love to see you guys premiering this movie at some cons around the country.
0: Yeah. In fact, we're going to be running it at uh, Monster Bash in Pittsburgh in October. Okay. Okay. And uh, there's a few other things in development. And I should say, uh, as as young as Sean is, we're also working with uh, a really, really smart, talented young man named Carl Sheckle of Carl's Comics. Uh, and Carl is, I think, 15, maybe 16 now. What? And uh, yeah, we're going to be uh, developing some really interesting uh, projects with uh, the Golden Age 3D comic books that Carl's going to be part of. So we've got a lot of irons in the fire.
1: Sean, you're already the old guy. You just found no, that. Know, no, that's that's amazing.
3: Look, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to embarrass everyone at the archive. You know what, though? What's so spectacular about the people that that run this company, like if you ever worry like, oh, I hope my profits aren't going, like my, my money isn't going to some some evil corporation. The people at the 3D Film Archive are some of the nicest people you could ever meet. I mean, I gave them no reason to believe that I could do Anything that I did, but they took a chance on me because they want to inspire the next generation of film lovers and filmmakers and artists. I, I mean, the Cal Curran, uh, Josh Carmona, my, my, uh, my cinematographer, every single person who, who even shows a remote interest in, they will plant the seeds of loving and caring for these films in such a positive way. You know, taking these chances on people, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, a, it's a great thing to support as well. And, and it's, and it's nice, you know, when I was growing up, you're like, Oh, the film industry is really evil and I'm sure it is, but this side of it is, is beautiful. And, and I've, I've been honored to be a part of it.
1: That's, that's really great to hear. And, and I think, uh you know, having you join the conversation was really nice because it added a, a kind of a unique element um, to kind of expand the, the conversation from just the movie to, I don't know, the whole experience. And I love the fact, like I said, that you guys have this comic book as one of the extras, this 3D comic book. I don't know. I, I was like, that should be like on a panel at a con where you're showing people and you pass out the glass. I'd that that seems to me like something that would be really interesting and to, to, to draw that crowd. Um, but here with this purchase of this Blu-ray and is it also on DVD?
0: Yes. Yes. Okay.
1: So for those people who, who haven't upgraded to Blu-ray, but still want to catch this on DVD, so you can get all of these uh, uh, as well. And then uh, I did, before we kind of wrap this up, I did want to ask you, what what are some things that uh, you want people to know about that are coming down the line?
0: Well, if you haven't noticed in the background, I've got a poster for Money from Home, which was a Dean Martin Jerry Lewis uh, Technicolor 3D film. Uh, An amazing production because it was photographed in Dynoptic 3D, which used Technicolor cameras, meaning that there were six rolls of film going through for every take. And uh, Paramount Archive is scanning 72 reels for us in 4K resolution, uh, 54,000 feet of film from camera negative. It's going to be a remarkably beautiful looking 3D Blu-ray. And Sean Trunk is doing a documentary for that release about the restoration as well. Uh, so that's coming from Kino Lorber. Uh, another title you may spot in the background here is Boana Devil, Arch Obler's film that kicked off the big 3D boom of 1953. And we are restoring that for Kino Lorber. And uh, the announcement I have, which has not been shared before, so it's a uh, preview, debut here for your podcast. Uh, Kino Lorber has stepped up to the plate and is actually paying for 4K scans of the original camera negatives. And that doesn't usually happen because it's very costly and very expensive. But uh, Frank Tarzi and Richard Lorber are very committed to preserving these films in the best possible quality. So you are going to see Buona Devil looking better than even it looked in 1953. Uh, So some very exciting things in the pipeline. Uh, And uh, I keep telling Greg, take your vitamins, man, because uh, (laughs) (laughs) we're going to keep you busy for a long time.
1: Well, that's great to hear. And I, I mean, obviously, the Robot Monster promotion and, and everything it releases July 25th, but it's going to continue to run all summer long from what you've just uh, related for all the events and places where you're showing this. Uh, and not just uh, for the summer, I think this one has some legs in terms of uh, live events and things of that nature. So I wanted to go to the one in LA, but I was on vacation. So it just didn't work out from a timing. But if you, uh, if it comes back to LA, I'd love to see it live with a group. I've watched it at home, but, and it's funny cause my daughter, you know, kind of opened the door, daddy, what are you watching? And I, so I gave her the glasses and she, she was watching, she's 10. And she found it very interesting, but I think if we were at a live event, she would have found it even more interesting with the audience because, uh, she loves it when we, you know, we just recently watched the avatar 3d, and she loves the 3D, so I think there's a real appetite for it. Uh, whether it's the newer films that introduce you to it for the younger audience, and then uh, you know the, the going to an event maybe where you can see it live with other audiences. So.
0: That's yeah, I mean that's what it's all about is is introducing new people and young people to it and seeing that the films live on, uh, and and that's very important and. If anybody wants to keep track of these various events and screenings, uh, there's there's three ways. Uh, we're very active on our Facebook page, 3D Film Archive LLC. Uh, we have an Instagram account, uh, 3D Film Archive, and on our website there's a news page which will have updates for any of these screenings and new releases and uh, various announcements. So there's several ways to keep track of what's coming up. And uh, like I said, we're thank goodness we're busy.
1: Yeah. And uh, just for the listeners, I'll have those links uh, in the podcast show notes and on the Facebook page as well for the for the podcast so that uh, you can find those easily and uh, follow along and be sure and follow follow the 3D archive film archives uh, Facebook page. It's uh, you guys have a lot of interesting posts there with what's going on. So, Bob, Greg, Sean, it's been great having you on the show.
0: Thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tim.
1: You bet. Well, that was a lot of fun talking Robot Monster 3D and the new 70th anniversary restoration coming out from Bayview Entertainment. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you're interested in purchasing the DVD or Blu-ray, I will have links in the podcast show notes to Bayview Entertainment and on our website at www.thextras.tv so be sure and check those out i'll also have links to the 3d film archive facebook page and website so that you can follow them and see all the titles that they have available in their library if you're new to the podcast i hope you'll follow us on your favorite podcast provider and if you're on social media be sure and follow the show on facebook twitter or instagram as that's a great way to continue the conversation and be a part of our community and check out our youtube channel as we are posting more videos there all the time And as we mentioned in this podcast, we do have a video version of this episode. You can find all the links in the podcast show notes. Until next time, you've been listening to Tim Millard. Stay Slightly Obsessed. Hi, this is Tim Millard, host of The Extras Podcast. And I wanted to let you know that we have a new private Facebook group for fans of the Warner Archive and Warner Brothers Catalog physical media releases. So if that interests you, you can find the link on our Facebook page or look for the link in the podcast show notes.